You have to be able to control your emotions if you want to be successful. You have to be ultra hardcore if you want to last because success is really a game of attrition. Most people just give up. And then to you know talk specifically about Web3, if you want to harness the energy in a movement like this, you better get to understand the technology. Because if you don't understand things at first principles, all you can do is follow. That is exactly what I see happening right now in Web3. Everybody that was following and didn't know how to lead, they just got eaten alive by the bear market. All the people that actually understand what's going on, know how to run a business, understand the technology, they're going to build to the bear market and we're going to come out the other side with some absolutely amazing technology. But it requires people to be thinking from first principles. NFTs and all my crypto is green. I'm watching Gary V on TV. What do you mean? She wear Gucci and Louis, but her favorite Celine. My old school is old, but I keep that shit clean. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Curated by Quantstem. We had the pleasure of interviewing Tom Villu today. Tom was one of the co-founders of Quest Nutrition, the company that makes Quest protein bars, which ended up getting acquired for a billion dollars. Tom later started Impact Theory, a very successful weekly interview show on YouTube that explores the mindsets of the world's highest achievers to learn their secrets to success. We spoke about why Tom decided to jump into Web3 last year, everything he is building with Impact Theory Founders Key, Mary Mods, and Project Kaizen. Tom breaks down his vision for the future of entertainment, which he calls borderless entertainment, which is basically how NFTs will change how we view and consume entertainment, both digitally and physically. We also asked what his biggest takeaway was when he had Mark Zuckerberg on his show discussing his metaverse vision. And finally, the top three learnings he has had after interviewing the most successful people on the planet. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. So, so great to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I, I want to start with the question I'm guessing you've probably been asked a hundred times. Uh, so you sold Quest for a billion dollars. You started one of the most influential self-help YouTube channels. Why did you decide to risk your reputation and launch an NFT collection? Yeah, so I believe that, and at this point in the cycle, uh, NFTs, Web3, terrible branding, it's just, you know, obviously it has a PR nightmare on its hands. However, the thing that attracted me to this in the beginning has remained true, which is the technology creates an entirely new form of entertainment. So what I realized in the beginning was that the blockchain was going to open up something entirely new. It's what we call borderless entertainment. And so because I am so convinced that that's the future, because it's a far more interesting form of storytelling, it's far more um, engaging and immersive, it truly goes beyond the borders of whether it's your computer or your console, it, it can really now follow you out into the real world. When I think of that as a creative, that was just too enticing to, to not be a part of. And what I always tell people, whether it's investing, whether it's building something, have a thesis. That way you're not swayed by momentary market fluctuations of uh, people are into this now or that now, or this is up or this is down. It's what do I know about human psychology? What do I know about the technology and where are they going to meet? And so the blockchain allows me to, to bring some of the properties of the physical world into the digital world. And now if I can do that with a cell phone and I know that this, so in Project Kaizen, which is the thing that we're building, one of the things that we're building, 
um, you get what's called a mesh type. You can think of it like a Harry Potter house. And so now if I know that about you, I can do something in the game itself on your computer, but I could also create an AR experience when you're out walking around town. And so that kind of depth of storytelling is where we're going. It's going to take time to get there, but you have to have the blockchain to pull this off. And because of my experience at Quest, where we were really looking for ways to do cool things for our customers, there was no way because you could fake a digital thing. As soon as you made it virtual, it could just be replicated endlessly. So when I learned about NFTs, I, I literally, the day I learned about this was like six years ago. I said to the guy, that's going to change my business forever because I understood. Now at the time it wasn't ready, certainly not for where I was, but when it came back around, I was like, oh my God, this is that he didn't, he called it V Adams. I don't know if you guys know the Adams guy, but so when he showed me that I was like, whoa, this technology really is going to be transformational. When it got to the point where it was usable for somebody in entertainment, we just went all in. What was uh, something you were trying to think uh, trying to think of doing with Quest uh, with the with the technology? I guess at the time that would have been more a like loyalty program, something where because we were trying to do something where if you uh, buy protein bars in the store or you buy them online, I wanted a way to aggregate them and thank you. And so we were like, okay, we could have people turn in wrappers. No, that'll create this perverse incentive to dig in trash cans and pull out wrappers. That's you know not what we're trying to do. We want to really reward people that are actively engaging with us and consuming the product. And every time we would come to some solution, we either had to send people something, which would dramatically increase the cost because we were effectively distributed, right? We didn't have a storefront where you came into our Starbucks or whatever. It was like we were working through everybody else. And so every time we boiled it down, it was like, well, we either have to go digital with this, in which case it can be replicated instantly or we have to create something tangible that's going to have a cost and now make that will end up eating into the profits of what we can do. So it just, nah, we just always kept like punting it down the road and ultimately never did anything meaningful in the way that we're now using the technology at Impact Theory. But that was the original idea. Amazing. Tyler? I just, this is an aside, I just thought of this randomly. Um, and I used to be like really obsessed with Quest Bars. And I just remembered in like 2015, I went to, um, Twitter's headquarters to visit the Vine office and they gave me a string bag and I went to like the snack counter and I took like every single freaking quest forward. I'm like, I hit the jackpot. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, it's uh it's crazy like building something and you guys know, having, you know, built what you guys have built, when you create something that goes from nothing to really like being a key part of the industry, it's it's really cool. It's a really neat experience. What are some of the expectations you had before getting 100% into this space and building a company? And how do they turn out to be different than what you thought? So Impact Theory has been around for six years. So the company was going and doing its thing long before NFTs came along. And when I what I told the team was, our job is to stay in business long enough to find our moment of disruption because we're trying to build the next Disney, which I was saying long before it was like the phrase that everybody's using. Uh, and... I didn't know that that moment of disruption would be the blockchain, but of course that is what it ended up being. And so when that happened and we started building, getting into it, I really didn't understand um, what the technological hurdle of building a game was going to be, let alone building a Web3 game. So now what we're having to do is build a lot of the infrastructure ourselves because it doesn't exist. It's not like you can go and grab something off the shelf. It's not like um, Unreal Engine has integrated Web3 technology and you know NFTs are a native part of that. 
So you're having to create all of this infrastructure to do the things you want to do. There's no playbook where I can just go watch a YouTube video about how to do this. We're literally inventing it. And so that has certainly impacted timelines. Uh, and so what I want to punch myself in the mouth for is when we laid out our roadmap, which is like the thing I will never do again. Uh, but when we laid out the roadmap, it was like, I really felt like we're being pretty conservative here. Uh, plenty of time to, to do this stuff. And then you get into the thick of it and you realize that um, there's a lot more that we had to create on our own. There were issues that we couldn't have anticipated because we weren't a game company. So um, it's been awesome. And we've built the team that we need. And, you know, for better or worse, because of my experience, because we're self-financed, it's like, you know, when hard times came, a lot of people washed out. Um, and we didn't. And so we've just been able to keep building, but that was the thing that most took me by surprise. The thing that didn't take me by surprise that took a lot of other people by surprise that I was really worried about when all this started, um, all the froth was happening was when you launch an NFT project, you are launching a company. And I was like, these artists are amazing, but I don't know if they know how to run a company. And so we've watched a lot of the implosion of incredibly talented, well-meaning, lovely people, but running a business is hard. And so it's it's been very interesting. Everything I've done up to this point has been in very mature industries. And so to be in a really nascent industry comes with, uh, it, it's a really different dynamic. You know, it's interesting you say this because I, when I, when I was kind of going about investing, quote unquote, investing in NFTs, I was thinking about this too, because you know, I, I went to Y Combinator and I, I did my, like I had two startups before that. And when I look back at it, like it, 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 no matter what, like, you know, I, even if I, I made so many mistakes, which was so simple at the time when you're doing your first company. Right. And, and when, but if, and all these people like who are raising so much money, it's their first company. Like you still have to manage the cash. You still have to know how to like, you know, execute, how to hire people, all that stuff, which, which comes with like experience and learning. And that was my, one of my biggest things as well, where are you able to, hire an agency or are you able to hire like you know experts bring them in the company and get that that founder you know that that experience or the founder like you know um call it like the you know the the excitement and do that i wasn't sure if you could do that or not what are your thoughts on that like what, what, what all these companies are doing right now yeah i think it it was pretty obvious from the beginning that the vast 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 majority were going to fail um, you know, I don't think it's an accident that people like me and Gary were saying, Hey, most of these are going to zero. And for Gary, that was probably experience based on just collecting. And he knew for me, it was entrepreneurial experience, just knowing most businesses are going to fail. Also, people are extraordinarily fickle. And so the thing that worried me, and I got a lot of flack for this in the beginning, a lot was I wasn't treating it like an investment. I told people, do not buy these as an investment. This is not a share in a company. This is a project where the value is in holding it and it's going to take a very long time to build. And so telling people, hey, stop treating these like financial instruments. You can imagine 24 months ago, I sounded like a moron. And now it's like, well, this is exactly why I was saying that is you've, you've got incredible pieces of art and I really hope that they can build something. And if you're buying this because you want to own it, whether they go out of business or not, but you have that cool piece of art and then like, hey, upside if they do something with it, fantastic. But yep. if you're looking at this as like, hey, these are seasoned entrepreneurs that are gonna be able to weather difficulty. Because remember, we're in a, a regulatory environment that's a huge question mark. How yep. are these guys gonna navigate that field? So there were just way too many 
unknowns where, yeah, it's just, you, you have to go through the school of hard knocks and I'm really excited for the number of people that got their first shot at being an entrepreneur through this. And they really got to see whether they like it, whether they've got the chops and some people have done extraordinarily well. And so I think this has really galvanized a generation of entrepreneurs that were able to survive it. But obviously a lot of people got brutalized because they were looking at this as a financial instrument, which I think was a mistake from the jump. And yeah, they're, they're getting thrashed because of it. And that there's no joy in Mudville watching that happen. Um, so yeah, people just need to be very thoughtful about the physics of a situation. You always want to boil things down to like the absolute base reality of what's going on. And being an amazing artist does not make you an amazing, um, CEO and distributed decision-making is about the worst way I can think of to run a company, certainly in the beginning. Now, look, there are parts where you have to teach your team to make decisions in a distributed fashion, but that's very different than having everything done in de democratic vote uh, or vote by you know token. So just there were a lot of red flags for me in terms of what I saw people doing that I thought was financially unwise. So what are some of your biggest learnings so far since entering this space, coming in with this like unique background and perspective? Yeah. So biggest learning for me is you have to find a way to, if you're, so I'm in entertainment, right? So I know there's a gazillion ways that you can do blockchain, NFTs, all that. So for me, it is very, very specific. Uh, there's a specific lane that we're building in. So from an entertainment perspective, you have to figure out how to build this in Lego blocks. And by the way, you can't be trying to skeuomorphic web two. So if you're just trying to build the next Fortnite, you're going to get crushed. Fortnite already exists. It's already amazing. People are spending just unimaginable amounts of time and money in that experience. So you have to be doing something differently. So for us, it was really focusing on why Web3? What is it about the blockchain that actually makes this matter? And then make sure that you're putting all of your time and energy into that. So very early on, we tried to explain to people, we're treating NFTs like what we call signaling molecules. We sort of refined the way that we talk about it now into borderless entertainment, but the signaling molecules are what makes the borderless entertainment work. So, but an NFT is, is a digital thing that tells another digital thing to do something specific. So it can unlock something, it can uh, shift something, sway it, whatever, personalize it being the key. And so really understanding, don't be skeuomorphic, and then really understanding that you have to be able to build in pieces. Each piece has to monetize so that you can go to the next piece and the next piece and the next piece. And so the way people have been conceptualizing this, I think is really, really dangerous where it's like, hey, I'm going to raise capital. So they saw the initial sale as a capital raise, which we did not. So we have not spent a dime. We've spent millions of dollars developing. We have not spent a dime of the money from the sale of the initial NFTs. The reason is I still don't know what the SEC is going to do, but whatever it is, I can guarantee people aren't going to like it. So we wanted to make sure whatever they do, it's like, Crazy. that's just going to be sitting there. Um, and so you want to uh, make sure that you can continue developing through all of that, that it is a truly unique experience. And that when you build a Lego piece, that it makes sense in and of itself. It's fun. It's engaging. It's different than anything else that's out there. And then when you build the next piece, not only does it generate additional revenue, but it locks into place with that first piece. And so now 
they are ideally more than the sum of their parts. And so that as you're going, you're able to build something really robust. So if we think about it won't be a triple A game like the way people experience them now, it'll be whatever the triple A version of borderless entertainment is going to look like. But seven years and $350 million from now, we better have something that has that sort of juggernaut entertainment value that something uh, in web two has. And so that's another part of this that it's really awesome watching people explore what that means and seeing people do that well. And there are several players out there doing this really, really well. Uh, and so that's super exciting. Um, yeah. Talking about, like you were talking about your, the concept of borderless entertainment. And also, I think it's, it's a pretty good segue. How do you think NFTs will change the way we, you know, um, change digital media and entertainment? And how does borderless entertainment kind of fit into that? Yeah, so borderless entertainment really simply is because of the NFTs you're holding in your wallet, I can completely customize the experience, but not just in a choose your own adventure way, that too, but that every decision you make will have consequences. So Michael Saylor talks about the blockchain introducing irreversible transactions into the digital world. So if you think about in a game, the part that makes it cool, at least for somebody like me, and this is certainly the gamer type that we're building for the adventurer gamer type. If you do something well, then that should have a positive consequence. If you do something poorly, that should be either neutral or a negative consequence. And with the blockchain, you can actually do that. And now as they accumulate those things, so let's say that you get an NFT that says you accomplished this thing. And then if you go out into the real world with that in your wallet, in your phone, you can encounter whether it's an AR experience or it could be like a Pokemon Go kind of thing where it's because you have you got that achievement, you're now able to play this mini game out in the real world to win this collectible item. And so it really does become based on you, what you've accomplished, and then is unshackled from the physical confines of your console. So it's in that way, you can imagine for an adventure gamer type, where I can now cue off of something that you do um, out in the world. So I, I often use Harry Potter as an example for people. So with this really inspired a lot of my thinking, there's two things that have had a major influence on the way that we're developing this. And that's Ready Player One, the book, not the movie, the book, which is about creating these intimate experiences. And then the Harry Potter um, house sorting hat experience. I forget the exact name, but you guys get the idea. And so you as a real person could go and answer a bunch of questions. And the questions really felt real. Like they felt thoughtful. I actually thought, hey, if you see my answers, you actually know something about me. Sure. And so that was really cool. But it also put me into a house and knowing what I knew about the franchise, I was like, it really put me into the right house. Like I really feel like that was a house. And so that was a really fun experience. And I always thought, what if that actually mattered, right? Because it only matters in as much as, well, I can tell you guys that I went through it and I can tell you what house I got sorted into. But imagine that if in the game, I could go into a room that only people that are in that can go into. What if I could only go into a club in real life that only people in that house can go into? What if I could have an AR experience that was tailored to my house that would be different than somebody else's house? So there's all kinds of ways that gaming is going to be like the the way people think of the metaverse as being really um, engrossing, that you're completely inside of it. I don't think that happens as soon in VR as it will in AR, where yeah. it just becomes a part of your world. And so now, I mean, this this technology exists right now today. We could, based on 
whatever your in our world your mesh type based on your kaizen mesh type i could scan you with ar and see like your house or your mesh type emblem behind you or see your avatar behind you whatever we want to do and so this really does become a much deeper relationship with entertainment which for me I think that entertainment is the most effective way to convey powerful ideas. And so being able to take advantage of this new form of entertainment and quite frankly, help invent this new form of entertainment and imbue it with these powerful, useful, um, uplifting ideas is very exciting to me. Very cool. I think I heard you say this as well at some other podcast, but you're going to mention like how think about going to Universal Studios and walking in and you have your ER um, glasses or whatever uh, phone on you, and then all of a sudden, you, like you get selected into uh, Hogwarts. Uh, so you walk into Hogwarts version of it, and then you know you're in Gryffindor, and the flags fall off, and it seems like a really like an immersive experience. That makes a That's, lot of that sense. That is literally exactly what this is going to be. That example, I will be scandalized if we don't have that exact thing within the next three years. I mean, you just hold your phone up, right? And so you look at the space through your phone. It's an app. It's connected to your wallet. And it goes, okay, you're in Hufflepuff. And so all the Hufflepuff flags fall down. Or you're in Ravenclaw and all the Ravenclaw things fall down. And the person next to you who's in Gryffindor sees the Gryffindor stuff fall down. And so that kind of highly tailored experience. And then if they do something that actually matters, like imagine that you're able, you went because you're in this house, you get this collectible, that collectible then unlocks a game or whatever back inside the core experience. And that kind of stuff where it's like, it, it matters. So uh, I think it was Michael Saylor that said this, but you're, you're making digital matter matter. And you know what's, I also, I actually really do agree with you on the, like, I you know, talking about VR, I don't know who says this, but like somebody says that like, you know, like basically you can see that happening if you see a small subset of people using it on a daily basis, right? Like, like if you think about like, I think I remember Mark Cuban talk about it back in 97 and the internet thing was happening. Yeah. Like, you know, you saw these people who were, who were basically watching games, but they were at work and they couldn't put on, put a game on, on the computer. So they would basically, sorry, on the TV, it was their work. So they would basically put on the game on the computer and people in the office thought they were working. Right. And so there was an actual use case by people who were genuinely, um, you know, like who were already doing that activity, but the internet made it easier to do that activity. Right. I haven't seen that in VR. I mean, I, I, you know, we're maybe a little bit of like workout, whatever, that we can see that a little bit, or I would say porn probably is the biggest one right now, use case I can think of. But you haven't really seen a use case where a subset of people are spending an hour a day of their life every day in VR. Whereas AR is a very simple, like a very natural next step from where we are uh, to where we're headed. But eventually, as Mark and Reason say, like, you know, eventually everything we can imagine will happen. It's about timing. So, we, I do believe that VR will happen. We're going to be in that thing, but I don't think we're there just yet. But AR seems like a very natural next step. Yeah, what I, so I think VR will ultimately be um, a pretty killer app. Will it be the killer app over AR? Probably not. I think it's always going to be a bit of mixed reality and seeing some of the things they're doing now with the lenses that can open and close to take you from VR to AR. Um, that I could see being very interesting. But the reason that I'm so intrigued by AR is you can let the real world do a lot of the heavy lifting. And so if you think about the Pokemon Go phenomenon, it was because you were letting the real world do a lot of the work for you. And so you just needed an algorithm that would appropriately seed all the different things all over the place. Um, and 
now you don't have to invent that world. You're just leveraging your knowledge of that world digitally to lay something over the top of it. And so that's where AR gets magical. And so when I think, and again, to go back to Harry Potter, so I used to live in London and there are some of the tube stations that they reference in the movie or the neighborhoods, obviously the real. And so you can imagine if when you're on the tube that they were actually on, or you were, I think it was King's Cross where they go and, and uh, do the um, whatever nine and three quarters uh, platform nine and three quarters. When you, if you're actually there and you can have an experience now when that becomes really interesting is when they surprise you with that. And so it's like um, you're going by and it could be something as simple as, oh, we filmed this scene here, right? But you only see that if you're in, you know, let's say, uh, I forget Ginny Weasley, which house she was in. But like, if you're in Ginny Weasley's house, you learn something about a scene they filmed with her because you're in that house. And so now it's like this tailored experience that's highly replayable that you want to tell your friends about because they may have a piece of the, the game, the puzzle, whatever that you don't have. And so it takes certainly the adventure gamer type. It just blows it out of the water, makes it this just huge where truly the world is your map. And, you know, we've brainstormed a thousand sort of dumb early iteration ideas that are so awesome that it only becomes a question of execution. So let me be very clear. A lot of the things I'm talking about now are going to take us three to five years to actually implement. But going back to those Lego pieces, like we're building the, the each piece as we go and hopefully each piece is in and of itself engaging but it's so easy when it's this easy to get like if you give me five creatives in a room and i just give them the basics of borderless entertainment and what it's going to be do the ideas start flying so fast so that's when you know that there's something killer coming and so obviously the more infrastructure there is so we can all just be leveraging pieces that somebody else has built the better i don't know that you need true interoperability for ar uh, but the infrastructure, like Niantech, who did Pokemon Go, from what I understand, we're going to be reaching out to them. From what I understand, they're actually making um, that technology available to people. So now you can implement things like that where it's geography-based and you can trigger a moment. Um, so anyway, I think that stuff is it is it is going to do for the sort of average moment what podcasts did for commuting where you're turning that like transitional moment into a moment where people can engage with your story. And if you do it in a compelling way, I think people are going to freak out, man. Surprise and delight. And this may be a personal fetish of mine, and maybe the world's going to teach me that nobody else cares. But I think the idea of being surprised and delighted by the IP that you really love, like think about the band you really love. And if they had an experience for holders that surprised you, um, you know, with either a, a early release of a song or tickets to a concert that, you know, it's like, hey, we scattered 20 tickets around this city or around this country, whatever. And the first to find them, get them. Just stuff like that, I think, is is really going to be extraordinary. Yeah, I, I joke about this quite a bit with uh, with our friends. But like, you know, uh, I know you're really good friends with Stevie Oki. Uh, like we talk about this, like, you know, kind of, kind of what he's doing with his NFTs. Like one thing that I think will be so cool and I would buy that NFT is like, if you get a chance to go on the stage with Steve Aoki and throw a cake at somebody, like that is a surprise and delight, right? Like it's something you look at it, but it's still an interesting experience because you can never have that unless you are a part of his, let's say top 10, you know, whatever X amount of people, um, his, you know, his, uh, 
membership, like top of his 1% of his, or 0.1% of his fans, right? But that is one of the things which is, again, surprise and delight because one, it's it like, it's this thing that you, it's an experience that not everybody can have. So you have a chance to go and tell your friends about it. And, and it's, it's very, it's very like different than, you know, just going and getting a ticket, for example, right? And going to a show. Agreed. Which I think is always pretty interesting. Uh, before we move to Project Kaizen, I have one last question and I kind of want to keep on this entertainment topic. Um, and let's just stop because uh, we're talking about Steve here and your friend with Steve, Steve Wenzel Blau. So you obviously talk to a bunch of people, uh, DJs and musicians about NFTs. What are some of your chats uh, been like with these guys for in the music space? Yeah. So the music space is one of the areas that I think is going to be the, the most explosive in terms of the potential that it's going to unleash once we get regulatory clarity. And so all of these guys, obviously, they care very much about, they want to do it the right way. They want to do it in a way that's very protective of their fans. Um, but there's so much pent up excitement because they've got all these really cool ideas. And as soon as they get the green light, um, I think that it's going to be really exciting. Now, Steve is on just another level. Like he's looking at this from so many different angles not just as a musician, obviously that's his sort of lead thing, but he's also so heavily into collecting. So he right. really gets NFTs from, from those angles as well as the broad entertainment. And he and I are um, talking about bringing in the comic that we did together, Neon Future, into Project Kaizen. So that's almost certainly something that we'll do. So there's obviously different approaches for different artists, but I think all of them are looking for that killer moment where they can have that direct relationship with their fans that their fans can, um, and not even, the example's probably better with an early band, but if you think of an early band where, so for instance, I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, which is not far from this town called Aberdeen, Washington, which happens to be where this band called Nirvana came from. And you can imagine if I could have bought their NFT when they're trying to do their first album and they're desperate for fan support, they're desperate for somebody that's going to go out and hype them up and talk about them. And so if I can get a piece of that and the regulation comes down that would allow there to be like royalty payments or whatever, then they don't have to give up everything to a record label. Now it's like they're take uh, even a smaller amount and give it to the fans. And as long as they've got ongoing royalties from the NFTs trading as they climb, like that can really be something that supports them, lets them control their own destiny and lets them you know, as they distribute, instead of just distributing to a big company, they're able to distribute to the people that actually wouldn't hype them. And so then you'll get a professional class of mavens, if you've read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, or sorry, The Tipping Point, where he talks about, you need people that are the tastemakers to say this thing is cool. And so with NFTs, you'll now have a professional class of mavens that go find those early bands, they get their NFTs, and then they want to push and promote and get better at getting the word out there. I really think that that's one of those like where I'm chomping at the bit to see that done well. Now, what we've all gone through, I think, I hope, Jesus, that even the most libertarian among us are like, hey, some regulation is probably a good idea. So nope. um, I want to see that done well. I'm very fearful that it will be regulated just out of existence. But if it can be done well, um, that's an area where I think we're going to see explode. And you can feel that excitement among the artists that are of this world. Sounds like Scooter Braun finding Justin Bieber is another one interesting one, right? Imagine like seeing someone on YouTube and kind of helping them and you you become one of the person who was there from the start and paid off very well for him. Uh, no doubt. This thing. Better? So this relationship with NFTs, do you see it kind of playing out on Ethereum and decentralized blockchains? Or do you think like Disney World and IP holders will kind of build their own blockchains and will kind of everything be held within their, their own little world? 
It's a really good question. This is inevitably going to be a prediction I will look back on in 10 years and think, my, how stupid I was. Uh, but this is my gut instinct about how this is going to play out. You're going to have the the big boys. Uh, I think ETH is going to be your your monster there. I'm agnostic in the end, so if it changes, whatever, we'll just follow where the audience goes. But that's my gut instinct. It just has so many developers, so much momentum. Um, so I think there will be that, and that'll take up, let's say, 60% of the market. But there's going to be 40% of the market that is going to go to ultra-centralized uh, and every shade in between. So whether that's Soul all the way to Disney having their own proprietary thing, they're obviously way more incentivized to do it themselves. So um, some of that's going to be regulation and what you have to do in order to have your own blockchain if you're going to create something that could in any way, shape or form be mistaken for a currency. I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of regulation around that. So that'll be a question. If if that's too brutal and as a company, it's just a nightmare to try to do that, then they might just leverage um, something like Ethereum. So we'll see. But you know, right now, you can do so many cool things with ETH. So many people are set up to deal with ETH. It's just like if you're just getting started, it's the easy one. You use ETH as the core asset and then you use uh, something like IMX, which is what we use to get to the layer two so that it's a, you know, a game and you can do a gazillion transactions and make it a gasless environment. Um, so that's worked out so well that I imagine that will continue to be the dominant force unless something in regulatory happens or there's a new technology or something. Um, that's my gut instinct. All right, moving to Project Kaizen. What is Project Kaizen and also how does it differ from Founding Keys and Mary Mods? If you can explain um, the, yeah, the entire ecosystem that you guys are building. Yeah, so Founders Keys unlock the future of Impact Theory. And so Impact Theory is a modern media company. So that means it gets you everything from, depending on your tier, uh, free or discounted mints, um, ad-free access to all of the content that we're already putting out, depending on what people know about me. Um, we have a YouTube channel that generates 10 million views a month. So we we are a content machine. So we put out a ton of content. Uh, we have a university, so it gets you either free or discounted access to that. So that's founder's key. Um, the founder's keys then also are what get you access in the initial run of Kaizen. Those are the only people that have access to it. Now, ultimately, we plan to open it up wider, um, but you know, have to have a very wise strategy around regulatory because our goal would be to uh, make our key holders the first touch point for any new thing that we're trying to put out into the ecosystem. So we'll start with them and then disperse however they see fit. Uh, and then Kaizen is the hub itself. So if we've got all this stuff going on um, and everything that Impact Theory does is designed to empower people. So our mission statement is to, sorry, our, our actual mission statement is to make sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset, but we have two sides to the business. So when we think about that, Everything that we do has to be about empowerment. So we don't want sort of, you know, generic or disempowering ideas. We tell one kind of story, but from a thousand different angles. And so Kaizen becomes the hub for all those stories. And we tell stories in many different ways. Uh, it could be uh, documentary. It could be um, a YouTube video. It could be the comic books that we have in development. It could be the video game. And so Project Kaizen is our Web3 game built in stages on the concept of borderless entertainment. 
So the phase one is uh, an avatar creation engine that has 900 unique 3D assets, AAA game quality 3D assets that you can intercombine. If anybody knows about video games, you know that that's impossible, um, but we actually did it. But to do it uh, certainly was not easy because of what they call interpenetrations. So all of the 3D elements, like if you have a, a jacket with a big collar and then you have a big helmet and you try to put the big helmet on top of the big collar, uh, they just intersect. And so the collar is just sort of sticking out of the helmet and it looks ridiculous. So to do all of that, to because when you, when you have 900 unique items, the number of permutations is in the billions. It's just absolutely insane. And so to go in and make the matrix to combine, and you can't avoid it in some places, but doing the best that we can to make sure that all of them intercombine. And we're probably in the 92 to 95% rate where you can combine all of those different permutations and nothing will, nothing will collide in any meaningful way. Um, so yeah, that's phase one. And then uh, there's also a mini game that'll be a part of that. And then the next phase will be the community going actually inside the world of the game. And then we'll just keep expanding it out from there. Um, doing in an MMORPG style where you won't be in the world alone. You'll be in the world with other people. Then you'll be able to compete against them, so on and so forth. All right, cool. Um, got it. So for this um, NFT customization that you were talking about, um, could you just like explain a little more how it works? Is it like you have one shot to make something that is permanently unchained? Will you always be able to go back and change it? Is there some kind of like points or reward system you have to earn to make these changes? Yeah, so the avatar that you create is built out of NFTs. And you put them together. So it's broken into head prop, could be a helmet, could be hair, whatever, head prop, top, pants, shoes, and back item. And the back item is typically a weapon. And so you then merge those into your avatar. And then you can, once we open up the world, you'll be able to take that avatar into the game and run around. And then you can bring that avatar back into the avatar creation engine, break it back apart into its constituent parts, change anything you want, remint and go back into the game. It's all gasless. It's all free. You can do it as many times as you want, as often as you want. No penalties of any kind. Go crazy. Um, and then we'll obviously over time, we'll introduce new items. We have so many right now that the the number of items that we have now will probably um, take us through probably phase three-ish would be my guess. Um, and yeah, we'll keep adding new things, mini games, gameplay, and there's it's all embedded in a story world. And then we've got uh, some pretty amazing partnerships that we've already inked. And the first one will come out this July. Um, and so that'll be integrated into Project Kaizen as well. I actually did have a question about that. Are there any partnerships or collaboration that has formed that you can discuss? Not that I can discuss, but uh, we, yes. So we have two. One is, I would say, very high profile. And then one is, depending on what universe you're into, is very high profile. But it's one of those, a small part of the world is going to be like, oh, my God. And then the rest of the world is going to be like, I've never heard of it. Uh, but that one, I'm I'm really excited about both of them. Uh, and yeah, it will be, it's going to be cool. I'm very excited. Basically. Uh, so you said you, you were building this in Unreal Engine, right? Uh, can you... Um, explain how does that contribute to the overall experience of the project? Yeah. So borderless entertainment is ultimately about storytelling. So you are immersing people in this world. So at that point it's, well, okay, what are the assets in which you are going to immerse them? And so we, our whole aesthetic is sort of anime meets video games. 
And so everything feels like Unreal, so it's rendered in Unreal, so it's not cel-shaded like anime, but that's the vibe, the character designs, that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of our items were created by an incredible, he's actually Mexican, but he lives in Japan, uh, and just insane, insane designs. And so by creating everything inside of Unreal Engine, we're able to create assets that we can then use anywhere. And so the temptation you'll see a lot of projects do this. The temptation is to do things in 2D. And the reason they do that is it's faster and probably cheaper upfront. But once it's done, it's done. It's one and done. To do anything else, you're going to have to go in and completely redo that whole thing. Whereas in 3D, once you create an asset and the big problem is sculpting and rigging, that is just unbelievably time-consuming and expensive. Now, hopefully AI either eliminates or wildly reduces those costs, but excuse me, as of today, very expensive. So once you have the asset, now you can use it in anything. So for instance, one of our NFT projects is called Merry Mods, which is a Christmas project. Everything that we build for Merry Mods, the short story, we can also use in Merry Mods, the game. So you're able to hand these assets back and forth and it reduces your costs by 40 to 50% in each ongoing thing. So as you build more and more assets, you can do more and more amazing stuff and if anybody plays any of these um, first-person shooters that have been in development for years and years and years, you'll see what they're doing is they introduce a new map or whatever, is they're typically repurposing designs that they have from another map and creating a new map with the same items just laid out in different ways, and maybe they create 15% new stuff. But the ability to reuse that stuff lets you keep your costs low so that you can keep building new cool stuff. So that is a, a big reason. Now, the reason we chose... Unreal instead of say Unity is just higher fidelity. So we're able to do something all the way to photorealistic and then back it off all the way to like dumbed down mobile game. Uh, and so it's just maximum versatility. And so, yeah, that's the idea behind Unreal. Basic. Got it. And by the way, with Unreal, you can, you can do a short story. So the short story itself could be shot in Unreal or you could do a game. And so that kind of versatility of being able to do either or is really meaningful to us. How does the game world react in real time to what the user has in their wallet? Yeah, so the easiest way to explain this, uh, so the partnership that we have that's coming in July, there'll be a separate drop for that. Let's say that you get one of those items. Then there'll be an experience inside of the Kaizen game world where you'll only be able to access the story and the gameplay if you're wearing that item on your avatar. And so by doing that now this is where we get into this idea of signaling molecules so let's say that you you know you walk up to a guard and he's standing guard over that thing he's going to talk to you differently if you have the nft on and we could even do something like he will treat you differently if you're wearing it versus if he knows you own it but you don't have it on so he could like if you walk in he's like hey i see you own this jacket this shirt this weapon whatever but you don't have it on, brother, you're one of us, but you need to go get it. You know what I mean? And so then you can go get it. Or if you don't have it, it's just like, hey, you don't belong. You can't come in, you know, whatever we're going to have the character say. And so the ability both to have the NPCs react to you differently, the ability to change your appearance and the ability to give you access to different things based on what you either have on your character or in your wallet. And then, of course, we can take that outside the game as well. It's like having a bottle of service in a club. Hey, you go to that lights. Exactly, exactly. Um, so how does the project plan to handle security and safety of users' NFTs? 
Yeah, so I'm not the technical guy to answer how we're going to do it, but that is one of, obviously, in this space, if you're not on top of that all the time. So we are audit fiends. Uh, we get everything audited top to bottom, left to right. Um, and then we, our CTO comes from the finance industry. So for him, it's just like safety is paramount, the utmost importance. Uh, and he was working on an exchange. It was a Chinese exchange. I forget the name of it, but they were doing something like $4 billion in transactions a day. So he's got just obscene experience in the, the safety space. So obviously that's incredibly important to us as something that we keep top of mind. Um, so yeah, that, that is not an area you want to play around in. And then also, I think that ultimately for this, um, industry to really go mainstream, people can't need to think about that this is web three or that the blockchain is involved. So we're building out the ability to on-ramp on fiat, have us hold your assets in our wallet associated with your account so that you don't notice a difference. Um, but obviously technologically on the back end is very different, but because we're very interested in obviously online, it's 13 and up, but, uh, very interested in, in that sweet spot known as the age of imprinting, which is 11 to 15. And so, um, wanting to also be compliant with just good ethics and all the regulations that people have for dealing with kids and knowing that it's hard for an adult to get a crypto wallet set up. And so making sure that we can um, eliminate the need for that. It'll still be there for people that want to custody, self-custody their assets. Um, but that will also have our own solution, obviously security to the nines, um, for people that don't want to even know about it. What is the spatial web? Well, so the spatial web, we are certainly not experts in that, but I am incredibly interested in where this is going. So if you look at companies like Improbable, and I think think these guys are open about it. God, if I'm selling them out in some way, I am going to be mortified. But there's another company called Cosmic Wave that we've been talking to. Um, and they are creating a, it, it is a website that you navigate like a video game. So it is exactly what you think of when you think of a game world. You're walking around it. It looks like whatever you want it to. It looks like a cityscape. It looks like the desert, a, an alien planet, whatever. And you're just running around it like you would any video game. But Let's take a city. When you go up to the door, you can actually go in that door and now it's a whole new space. And let's say the door you went in is to a store. You go in the store and now everything in the store is actually for sale. But you would navigate to it like a video game. You go up to it, you you know touch whatever, interact with it. You can buy it right there. Um, and you can token gate things. So like, oh, you can't go in this door if you don't have XYZ token. So it's it's really incredible. And what's crazy is, so you're having the experience right there in the browser and then as soon as you scroll down, it just moves on to the rest of the normal 2D website. It's bananas. And when you see it happening in real time before you, it's really, it's a, it's a really cool experience. And they're using, like you can do stuff with LiDAR and things so that you can quickly map a space, create a digital twin, insert it. So like if you're a store and you want to now have an online presence, you can literally LiDAR your store, could probably do it with your iPhone, take a bunch of pictures with your iPhone. You've now got your 3D model. You upload that, you mark everything. And now people can on your website, walk around your store and then take things off the shelf, buy it. And I don't know how hard this would be, but if you can't do it now, you will certainly be able to do it in the near future that what you see on the shelf is the real inventory. So if there's only one left, there's actually only one left. So it's uh, it's it's really going to change 
the way that we navigate. And because it can so easily give you either or experience. So if you're like, meh, I don't really want to wander around your store. I just want to click around. You can do both. You literally just scroll, boom, normal sites right there. That's so cool. And it, how how far is it like to be like implemented in like you think in like mainstream applications or mainstream media, I guess? Well, so it's already being done on um, Improbable and Board Ape Yacht Club have already run some big tests where they had, I think, over a thousand people live in one instance at the same time. So part of what makes Spatial Web work is this ultra high throughput pixel streaming, which yep. is incredibly difficult. Uh, and so that seems to be one of the big breakthroughs is they have these algorithms. And again, I'm, I'm out of my depth here. I'm just repeating things that I've researched. But uh, you're, they've got these new algorithms that are allowing them to have all those people because a big part of just tracking all those people is just the bandwidth of rendering all of those people. And so it's, it's my understanding that with these new compression algorithms, they're, they're really able to level this up, the number of people that can be live in the same instance. So it'd be very interesting to see what people do with that, because there's going to be, from a gaming perspective, there will be so much chaos if people, you have a thousand people running around the same environment. But at the same time, you can imagine if your environment is appropriately scaled and it's a city and that city is, is actually the size of a city and now you actually have a million people living in it. Well, now it's just like day-to-day -day life. And so, again, I don't know the state of the art right now. I don't know what's possible. All I've seen is that, you know, demos of this stuff. But the demos hint that, I mean, five years from now, seven years from now, this is going to be pretty insane. Like they can already do, let's say, a block where you walk in and the storefronts are real storefronts and you go in and you can really buy things and you can really walk to the next storefront. You can really get in an elevator and take it up to another place. And of course, like anything, because it's digital, you could take the elevator to Mars, right? So it's uh, it's really interesting. It was one of the more startling tech demos I've ever seen, where I went from not knowing that this was even a thing to being like, whoa, this is way farther along than I thought. Yeah. And, you know, listening to you before, I, I, I actually had to think about that question, like, you know, that websites became so normal that every business has a website now, right? But that was not the case you know, 20 years ago, but that's when the whole people started moving from physical to digital. Now, as we move more like from the, you know, like where we are right now to more an, to more an AR, VR kind of world, like what would be that thing for, you know, normal businesses? How would they, you know, what would, how would websites evolve in that way? And that's something uh, I I'll give you an answer. Yeah. Your website is going to have to be entertaining. It won't be enough for it to be, um, that it works. I'm going to expect to go in and be surprised, see something I didn't expect, like that the just like ads now to be effective need to be content that would go viral naturally. Yep. It's going to be the same with the shopping experience. I just expect this experience to be rad. I expect there to be an interactive nature for us because everything's in a story world. When you go to the store, you're actually engaging with one of the story-based characters. And because it's blockchain, that character is going to remember certain things about you, right? If it can be put into an NFT uh, or memorized in your account, now we can continue to tailor that relationship. And so when you get into spatial web, it's like, well, now all of a sudden, a website can effectively be run. There could be a personality. There could be a storekeeper. When I walk in, I can engage with them. So I mean, it'd be really interesting to see where this stuff goes, man. I, I'm just, I'm utterly fascinated by what the technology is making possible. And yeah. now as AI comes in and, you know, it's like everything, AI is coming in and making a lot of very talented people very scared. 
But when you look at also what's coming online and all of the different ways that creativity is going to be, there are going to be demands made of that creativity. I think people will be able to reallocate that and get that same sense of fulfillment and meaning and purpose. It's just going to manifest in a new way. Yeah. We had Ryan Carson on the show last week and we were talking about uh, AI and we're talking about the blog that Tim Irvin wrote wait, oh, from Wait But Why like seven years ago on AI. And and he kind of like, you know, we're talking about the exponential growth and like it's happening so fast now that the next 10 or 10 to 15 years are going to be so interesting on how fast this will move and all these things that we're talking about. Like it's, it's, it seems so, like even with the chat GPT that happened, like, you know, a couple of months, a month ago or whatever. And you can see how fast that's if all the way. It's going to be so interesting how this is all going to go in the next uh, five or 10 years, I guess. Agreed. I think right now we have a three-year window. I don't think anyone can accurately predict what's going to happen beyond three years. And the only reason I'll give it three years is there's just a reality to how fast something can um, be integrated into other tools. So I think you've got about three years now where you can sort of, you know, I mean, you're not going to be spot on, but you'll be roughly correct. Yeah. Uh, but at the three-year mark, by the time we get to the three-year mark, and it, it'll shift, obviously, as we get closer, but by the time we get to three years, I think your horizon will be six months. And I actually don't know what happens to the world when your horizon is six months, because that means when you're a junior in high school making plans about your college, it'll be irrelevant. By the time you decide what to study in college, it, it won't be a thing anymore. And you picked your college because they had the best XYZ program. So it's like all of that stuff is going to break down. That's going to become completely new. Anything that requires future forecasting, whoo, it's crazy. There's a fascinating stat, which is um, as of like four years ago, I think, the average company um, stayed, sorry, as of 1961, the average company stayed on the S&P 500 for 61 years. Then as of four years ago, the average company stayed on for 16 years. And they were expecting it to decrease to 12 years by now. Now, whether it actually decreased to 12 years, I don't know, but I would guess it did. And I have a feeling that as AI continues to ramp up and you get adoption curves, like how long did um, ChatGPT take? It was like five days to reach a million yeah, users. A million users, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. So when you have adoption that's happening that fast, everything's just going to change. So that should give people anxiety. Uh, and we're all going to have to figure out how to navigate this time, man. It's, it, it is a trip. And look, I am, I am a wildly optimistic person, yeah. but there, it's going to be rough. There's going to be some rough times. I saw you had Mark Zuckerberg on the show, and I'm sure he chatted a lot about Metaverse. Uh, what was the biggest thing that you got out of that episode talking to Zuck about what his thoughts were for Metaverse? He's, he's really sincere about this. And he gets so much flack. And I don't know if it's because he, you know, acts like a robot or, you know, looks like he's like one of the V guys and he can peel off his face. I don't know. But I, I for one, am yeah. very grateful that he's spending the kind of money that he's spending to actually make this real. And I think the people that are heckling him don't realize how much infrastructure and technology has to be built for this to be real. And so it's like, if you want it to come true, somebody has to spend the $15 billion a year. Yep. So it's like, you've got a guy that raised his hand and did it, who took personal losses in yep. the just billions of dollars and he just believes. And so he's out there doing it. Now, is that me uh, justifying any of his behavior and the way that he roots through data and all of that? No, I don't know the guy. I interviewed him once. And I was very um, excited to do so. He could be evil. I have no idea. I don't know him, but uh, he could also be exactly what we all want. 
And so, yeah, I am, I am extremely grateful. And I got to meet his, uh, his team that's working on the development of the, the VR stuff. They're amazing. They are sincere, kind-hearted, intelligent people. So anyway, I'm, uh, I'm not negative on what he's doing in the way a lot of people are. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I am very excited about the future he is helping to usher in. That's, yeah. that's great to hear. Yeah, I heard, I think I listened to a podcast of Polygon guys, and this is the same thing as well. That they were very impressed with what uh, Meta is doing behind the scenes in the Web three space. So it's really good to hear for from sure. You. Yeah, Tom, you have been on, you have interviewed, you know, some of the most influential people in the world, right? You have. Um, what are some of the things that you know, whether it's in Web three crypto space or in general in life? Let's say three things that you know you you learn by talking to these people. You know that we you know doesn't don't have that. Uh, behind the scenes kind of take, I guess, right? Will be a couple of things that you have that really stood out to you that would be really beneficial for people to uh, have like a aha. Uh -huh you moment. have to be able to control your emotions if you want to be successful. Um, you have to be ultra hardcore if you want to last because success is really a game of attrition. Most people just give up. Uh, and then to, you know, talk specifically about Web3. If you want to harness the energy in a movement like this, you better get to understand the technology. Because if you, if you don't understand things at first principles, all you can do is follow. And so, and that's, you know, that would, that is exactly what I see happening right now in Web3. Everybody that was following and didn't know how to lead, they just got eaten alive by the bear market. All the people that actually understand what's going on, know how to run a business, understand the technology they're going to build to the bear market and we're going to come out the other side with some absolutely amazing technology, but it requires people to be thinking from first principles. That's a beautiful answer. A big thing for impact theory is getting out of the matrix. And you talked about what we see is just what we believe and not necessarily the objective truth. And we can't help to think that this is going to be even further of an issue when we are living in a metaverse where not only are we seeing what we are seeing as our beliefs, but we are seeing is totally created by somebody else. So do you see a future where the metaverse actually contributes positively to people finding the objective truth? So I, it won't happen by accident. By accident, the metaverse will be emotionally destructive. And this is something we think a lot about. Social media, we all saw caught on like wildfire. It spoke to lesser impulses, all of that. And, uh, you know, has led to a, a real epidemic in kids that I think people have to really be thoughtful of. And if I had kids, I would not let them get a phone until... God, until they were threatening to move out of my house, I suppose. Uh, so I think people have to be really thoughtful. As somebody building the metaverse, we think about this a lot and we want to tie into the real world. So our mantra is if you're winning at Project Kaizen, you should be winning in real life. And so our goal is to bring ideas that are empowering in the real world and marry them to a truly uh, fun and unique entertainment experience. I don't want to preach. I don't want people to feel like we're preaching, but I think that you can very much tie into real ideas. And it, this will all start being more clear. Like when you see who our first partner is, you're going to be like, uh -huh, I get what you're doing. Uh, so there is an intersection of entertainment and real ideas. Um, and so, yeah, that that is where we want to live. And we will have to be incredibly thoughtful. Now, the good news is this entire company is predicated on understanding human psychology and those kinds of ideas. And so uh, I've run that experiment in my own life. I uh, certainly run that experiment with the content in terms of what is both entertaining and useful. 
uh, and we think we can inject those ideas into entertainment. But I think that there will be a lot of bad VR. You mentioned porn earlier. Porn is always going to be the early adopters. If people aren't careful, that's really going to mess them up. Because when you have a photorealistic woman coupled with a device IRL that makes you feel what they're doing, and you can have a different woman every nine minutes if you want, uh, that's going to be a real problem. And people are going to have to uh, have their their mind engaged so that they don't go down a very dark path. It's an interesting question, by the way. I, I know you've had Alex Armosi on the show, and I was watching one of his videos he did on, on AI, but he kind of said something very interesting. He said that in the future, we think about it as humans, like, you know, we, if, if you think about AI just replicating, you know, what you like and what you enjoy, and then think about having a, a girlfriend that is, you know, but a robot, but then has a human-like features and she and there's AI, uh, you know, that is basically mimicking what you want to hear, what you like, and blah blah blah. Like it's an interesting world where you know why would you want to work on yourself when you can have getting all the emotions that you want with a robot, and then you add the AI aspect to it, right? Like that is. I can give you the answer to that. You will still find you will have a profound sense of disease. There's no way to get around your biology yet, and maybe one day we'll be able to. But until you change the biology, you will not be able to change the outcome of doing something like that. And so this is a big part of what uh, I really want people to understand is there's no free lunch. And so you're going to have that relationship. You're still going to feel really uneasy, depressed, uh, anxious. Uh, they will be your only anchor. And you wonder why when I have this amazing, loving relationship from this digital entity, why do I still feel bad? And that's why there are algorithmic programs running in your brain given to you by evolution and you, you can't get rid of them. And they make certain demands, working hard, contributing to the group. And if you're not doing those things, you will not feel good. Nothing else will matter. Won't matter how rich you are. Won't matter how much the avatar loves you. All that will matter is despite the fact that the avatar loves me, I still don't feel good. And I don't know why the answer is hyper self-evident. And this will be the kind of thing that we'll try to address. Um, again, through entertainment without any preaching, but just introducing people to these realities. Amazing. As an entrepreneur, um, you know, mostly you're looking at other businesses, like you're looking at other collections, what they're doing uh, as entrepreneurs. I mean, what has been your um, thought process when you're looking at BAYC and like, you know, how they are thinking about um, expanding the ecosystem and, you know, the creative ways they are kind of thinking about, you know, exploring and doing stuff. Like how, what has your thoughts been on that? Just as a it's incredible. I am in awe. They're doing such an amazing job. Um, they really are the gold standard. So they're doing a phenomenal job of storytelling, a phenomenal job of engaging their audience, a phenomenal job of partnerships, a phenomenal job of uh, leveraging the technology. I mean, just really, really a masterclass in how to do this. Um, so yeah, I'm very impressed. I, as a holder, obviously, I, I'm uh, I love to see it, but just as like a guy in the industry, it's like, I love to see it. So, um, it's really exciting. I, I'm very impressed. Awesome. Let's move to rapid fire. We'll make this quick. So your favorite PFP collection, obviously the, the keys, man, the founder's keys. Come on, meow. You can't say yo. Other than my own, um, artifact. Very cool. Nice. Which upcoming artists would you like to spotlight? I really, because I know him as a person, I'm going to shout out Thank You X. What teams besides your own are you most bullish on? There are three that I think are are really going to be the teams to beat, and that is Artifact, Board Ape Yacht Club, and Azuki. What projects do you consider underrated? V Friends, of 
favorite Twitter accounts? Alex Hormozzi. We'll go with that. He's amazing. He's amazing. He, I can, I can actually get behind his tweets. Yep. He's such a smart guy. Brand, individual, or team you would like to see in Web3? Disney is is going to be, that's the, I so consider them the formidable opponent that I must defeat. But yeah, I would like to see what they do. They're, they're the juggernaut. As they come in, it, it will set the standard. Until they're playing at full capacity, I won't have slayed the dragon I need to slay. Advice to new artists, builders, or teams entering Web3? Run it like a business. And one final question, one prediction for 2023. We're going to find out how fun games can be in Web3 when they're not skeuomorphic. Tom, this was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, where can people find you? And also, when is the launch for uh, the next evolution of Project Kaizen? So you can find me at AtomBillu everywhere. I, I'm on all the platforms. Uh, if you want to learn about Project Kaizen, be sure to join our Discord. That would definitely be the place. And it's Impact Theory is the Discord. Amazing. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. This channel is intended purely for educational purposes and does not constitute financial or tax advice. NFTs and all my crypto is free. I'm watching Gary V on TV. What do you mean? She wear Gucci and Louis, but her favorite Celine. My old school is old, but I keep that shit.